Hey, Jordan. How's it going? What's up, Rob? Not much. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I just got back from talking to Judy in HR, and I'm noticing that my my time off request was actually denied. It was denied, which is weird to me because I'm like the, one of the main guys. I thought we could just kind of like kind of go, we leave sometimes for a little bit, get off of the the content hamster wheel just for a few days and come back. So I'm kind of curious about what's what's going on with that. I'm sorry. Just, we're just, we've, we've got a tight ship. We, we were <laughs> understaffed for the next couple of weeks. We just really can't afford to have anybody out. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It was just over yeah. my head. Do you, do you know what the, what this means to the economy, the Insurgents podcast? We can't just stop doing the podcast. It, people, exactly. people go broke. People lose access to their precious content. What are we we've got, it's impossible. We've got hundreds of interns who rely on us. <laughs> we can't just not give them yeah. robust content each week. I mean, we're on the precipice of a recession here. And now you think is a good time to take a vacation? <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true. Who are these? Who are the interns going to bring beverages to? You know, if I'm right. not there, they need something to do. And yeah, maybe they're technically "quote unquote" not paid, but like no, 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 they're paid interns. Let's not get it twisted. They're paid interns. That's yeah. the title. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the official title that they, in the contract that they sign. Exactly. Yep. Uh, okay, well, I was going to say that I'm not going to be around for the next week because I'm taking a taking a couple of days off. Um, I guess that's at the window now, so I have nothing new to report because I'm going to be here okay. just like always. Let's proceed then. Let's proceed <laughs> with our intro. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm going to go spend a few days in beautiful New Jersey. <laughs> not words that are typically paired together in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the paradise the paradise on earth of of new jersey uh-huh. now, i've the talked Europe before how america I, exactly <laughs> i've talked before though how i really do enjoy the american i mean just when we talked about coney island the other day you know how i love the this the the east coast the pier the carnival games the fried foods the beach the you know that kind of stuff the the novelty touristy t-shirt shops i genuinely like as much as i am kind of one of those death to america guys i do must admit that i enjoy that and uh, you know i hope that's that's <laughs> part of american culture that i find beautiful that i hope is preserved um so mm-hmm. i'm going to enjoy next week spending a couple of days in that environment uh and it'll be nice you know i'm looking forward to it but no, don't freak it's- out everybody it's just a couple of days uh i will be back very quickly and then I will be taking over the reins of the podcast while Jordan does his like insane cross country move as well. So it's going to be a little bit of a a weird and different schedule over the next couple of weeks. But I think if we if we all band together, we're going to get through it. We're a family, and together we'll get through this. <laughs> yeah, you, know, exactly. you might have some episodes yeah. without Rob. You might have some episodes without me. But remember, we're a family. Exactly. And that's why it's more important than ever that people subscribe to the Insurgents podcast because that's what families do. They support each other during tough times. Yes. And I know yeah. that our, our listeners get that. And speaking of episodes uh, without uh, the hosts, we had a couple of different episodes this week um, with that kind of like context. 
a fantastic conversation for episode 193 with uh, my friend and my colleague, Nora Loretto, where he talks a little bit about Canada. It was kind of a Canada-focused episode, which I, I know everyone enjoys. Everyone enjoys whenever I, uh, I talk about Canada. And uh, I thought it was really fantastic, actually. I was really enjoyed talking to Nora. I was really happy to bring Nora onto this, onto this program. I hope everyone enjoyed that one. And uh, you just had an episode uh, earlier this week with uh, Craig Reynolds of Straight From The Path. Yeah, and in that one, we talked about the UK. We talked about cuts to the NHS, how that's just fucked over uh, that system, and how people are getting more and more... Uh, accepting of a potentially private system. We talked about the consequences of that, what that would look like and how he, and he for certainly people in his life and his neighbors, his friends don't fully realize just how bad the NHS could get. If, if privatization uh, is successful through this kind of death by a thousand cuts strategy. We also talked about the writer strike and the actor's strike and how, the issues that they're fighting for parallel issues that mus- musicians face, but musicians do not have the same type of union representation uh, like actors and writers do. Uh, it was fun. We also talked about a bunch of different stuff. Craig is uh, a buddy of mine, so it was just kind of us shooting the shit for an hour. And you can get that episode by going to insurgentspod.com. Five bucks a month gets you that episode and... Every other bonus episode that we put out, we put out an additional episode every week just for subscribers. So head on over to insurgentspod.com. Five bucks a month gets you a subscription. You become a paid intern and you help keep the show going, which we greatly appreciate. Without you guys, we could not do this. You you make this show possible. Absolutely. We love all the paid interns. And uh, you know what? Speaking of fantastic conversations on this show... We had another really good one with Alexander Edward, uh, who's a host of the Minion Death Cult podcast, or co-host, um, which explores the kind of right-wing fever swamps of Facebook groups and now Twitter uh, each week with the, the sort of a never-ending supply of bizarre and crazy stories and fixations, um, which they bring to people uh, every single week. And... Uh, Alex, also a Teamster and a UPS driver as well. So not only were we able to talk about some of the weird things that people on the right wing uh, are freaking out about uh, on their in their weird uh, social media communities, like uh, Hunter Biden, like the Sound of Freedom film, which they're all obsessed with, uh, like Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, and his latest uh, cancellation. But uh, you know, he's a, is a union member. A, a Teamster UPS driver, like I was saying, we were able to talk about this kind of like ongoing strike wave, uh, the possibility of a UPS strike that's like seeming like a, a a more and more real possibility as the days and weeks go on. So covered a lot of ground in this conversation, but it was really great stuff. And I think people are going to really go, uh, like this one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great conversation. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. It's very late. Um, <laughs> so let's do that. Um, so... Yes, Alex Edward is going to be joining the program right after this. And now we are joined by Alexander Edward of the Minion Death Cult podcast. Alex, hello. Thank you for joining the show. 
Of course. Thank you so much for having me and clearly enunciating the name of my podcast. Really appreciate that. No, no problem. No, like we were just we were just talking before we um, went live here, hit the big red button about how way back, you know, years ago now when when Fox News talked about me because of my tweet about MS-13, I uh, was able to go on the show and talk to you guys. And it's really cool to be able to have you on to see that there's still an audience for what you guys are doing. And like we were saying, there's there's no shortage of uh, nonstop, bizarre, right-wing, fever swamp content to be mining. So I'm glad to see that you guys are rolling up your sleeves and still doing that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's like I said, the world has only gotten more minion death cult, but it has like shifted. I mean, Twitter is kind of the new Facebook. We started off like diving through Facebook and we still do that. Um, but Facebook like added roadblocks to a lot of the stuff that these people want to post that uh, Twitter just removed. So there's like a huge influx of um, you know, yeah. l- low technological, technological understanding folks, older folks uh, coming to Twitter right now. And it's producing wonderful things. Yeah, it's pretty much it's like Musk's biggest legacy now turning Twitter into Facebook. What a genius idea. It's funny to think about like Facebook, like, you know, after January 6th, when they're re- realizing like, oh, shit, all this stuff that we've been totally enabling and profiting off of. Now everyone's mad at us for it. So now we have to pretend to care about this kind of stuff. They had a couple moments funny. like that. I mean, the Cambridge Analytica moment was like that for Facebook. And yeah, January 6th, of course, a lot of, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it come come to Jesus moment, come come to investor moments for Facebook. Well, we're going to dig into all this stuff um, in this conversation. Before that, though, Jordan has something very important that he needs to ask you before we get to any of that, that other stuff. <laughs> That's right. Alex, we ask all of our guests the same question, just so we know who we're dealing with and whether or not the conversation should continue. Oh, now, boy. Alex, this is a tough question. If you want to take some time to think about it, you can. Uh, but there is a lot riding on your answer. All right. Alex, are you a gamer? Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a day walker. I travel with both tribes. I'm, I'm, I am accepted in both camps. Okay. I play, uh, right now I play like, I play one game at a time and I play that game for like six months until I either stop playing it, uh, or, or beat it. Rarely do I, do I beat a game, but, um, I, I beat, man, what was it? What's the little, uh, Bio Mutant. I beat Bio Mutant. That was pretty fun. I like I like the fun, silly games. I don't like the serious uh, school shooter games. I I like Breath of the Wild and uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Playing Tears of the Kingdom <laughs> right now. I'm probably never going to finish it. I haven't picked it up in uh, five or six days, but I love it. Great game. Are you been building any cool, wacky contraptions in there? That's the thing is I'm too, giant wooden guys with dicks or anything like that. Like I was seeing, I'm too, I'm too scared to start, to start building. Like I have such a limited time. I, I need, I'm going to force myself to start doing some, some of those time trials, build different carts. And I just liked when I get, when I game, I sit down, I'm like, okay, I have an hour. I'm going to like get, make some progress. I'm going to see some stuff. And so I don't really yeah. have time to like sit there and because I know I'm going to fail. I know like the first 10 machines I build are going to be boring and, and suck and take forever to make. Uh, so I just, I, I'm reticent to go down that road, but I, I think I will soon. Cool. Well, interested to see the progress. I guess that's a resounding yes on the, the gamer question. Um, I'm the same way with games. I can only focus on one game at a time. I, uh, 
for a while I was trying to play Cyberpunk 2077, which I enjoyed. I was having fun doing it. And now I'm back in the Fortnite grind and I can't mm. – whenever I sit down to game, I got 30, 45 minutes or an hour to game and I just – I fire that up. And I've, I've not been able to get into the serious like story-driven campaign. It's fucking Jordan's fault too got me addicted to Fortnite like t- two years ago and I'm still now stuck on it. What do you like about Fortnite? It's a good game. It's peaceful. It's fun. It's colorful. I guess like, yeah, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I like, I like third person shooters. I like sometimes just if I want to sit down and game for 20 minutes, you can do that. Have Mm -hmm. one little game and then you're out. Um, I like the style of it. But when I first started playing it, I was like, this building shit is so, it's so annoying. There's all these little kids playing and they can build these massive skyscrapers in like five seconds and just instantly own me or instantly escape or whatever. And I'm like struggling with looking at the keyboard, trying to build a little box or something. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. But then when they released the no build mode, then it, it gave me an opportunity to level the playing field. Mm. Yeah. For me, uh, the little bit of gaming I do is a replacement for reading. So I, I, I want to be like immersed in a story in a, in a fantastical world in another life. It's like, you know, escaping the drudgery of, of my own, uh, horrible life up here in Seattle as a, as a professional union member. Um, you know, sometimes I can go to, uh, what's the place called Narnia? What, what is it called in Zelda? The kingdom? Hyrule? Z- Xanth. That's what it's, it's called. Xanth. No, it is Hyrule. I was just kidding. But yeah, so I, I like my, I like escapism. So I don't, I don't like, I don't play it for the skill or for the, or for the, the, I, I don't know, trickery. I don't know. I, I want to, uh, I want to try that Rocket League. I think Rocket League would be, would be fun. That looks fun. Yes. Rocket League is fantastic. I haven't been playing a lot because I've been packing with every, you know, spare hour or whatever I get. And that's just been very frustrating. But I think I've talked about this before. When I ride my bike, I have a, bike on a trainer that i have in my living room and when i ride my bike i play rocket league and maybe it's the mix of getting like my adrenaline up and exercising while i'm playing but rocket league brings out the absolute fucking worst in me i am (laughs) the most toxic fucking player on rocket league i'll be spamming all of the oops great oops oops, great save yeah (laughs) or what a save whenever someone on the other team misses or someone on my team misses i'm just like i am the worst fucking rocket league player to play against because it's just i I think it's got to be a mix of just me being hyper competitive and also exercising at the same time while i play i love the game but i'm probably a terrible teammate when I fuck up in Rocket League and I, the teammate goes, "Great job!" or "What a save!" or whatever, <laughs> I always I, then I spam the "Thanks, thanks, thanks." <laughs> you get in these passive aggressive little flame wars. Oh, it's the best! Uh, it's so fun. I think what's happening, Jordan, is uh, as you exercise on your bike, you're becoming more right wing, uh, and that's why you're more aggressive and unpleasant in the yeah, that's right. chat <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's how that works. I. I'm learning about that. Yeah, any exercise brings you closer and closer to crypto fascism. Yeah, which I think we need to, as listeners of the show, need to understand. And every show need to understand: stay away from the gym, or else you're a Nazi. Well, that's what I've been doing. So I'm gonna. That's why it's because it's not for like physical things. It's for purely political reasons Ideolo- that I've not been exercising purity. at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't think it turns you into a, a Nazi. I think I think it reflects your 
sorry, I think it reflects your suppressed homosexuality. Like, I, th I think it re repressed like some latent impulses that uh, you're fighting <laughs> against. So it's more of like a co-symptom of being right wing. Well, I mean, no one, no one knows more about these uh, latent or weird uh, right wing <laughs> trends than you, Alex, which you cover uh, each week in the Minion Death Cult podcast we were talking about. What is going on in the right wing fever swamp right now? I mean, I pay attention to that stuff when it bubbles to the surface, but you're you're right there in the trenches every day, uh, getting get, mixing it up with these folks, or at least paying attention, like some some sort of like modern day sort of anthropologist, figuring out what these weird folks are are talking about and getting mad at and getting up to. Um, What's going on right now in the right-wing fever swamp? Any weird trends or stories or things that they're freaking out about that we don't know about yet? Oh, yeah. Pl I mean, plenty. Um, the, the Mike Pillow Man was just forced to sell off a bunch of manufacturing equipment. Uh, so they were pretty upset about that. He, uh, he has been like, he's been canceled from by everybody. He's been canceled by Walmart and... Bed Bath and Beyond is the big one. They were all really happy when Bed Bath and Beyond announced bankruptcy a few months ago because they they were one of the ones that uh, refused him, one of the prominent ones that refused to carry his stupid fucking pillow. Um, and just th him having to sell off, you know, remaining like manufacturing space. He has to like sublease some of his space. He had to sell off like a bunch of equipment including a forklift <laughs> you can like go on an, a website on an auction website and buy a, a forklift from mike lindell so I, I don't know it might be worth it. it might be worth something someday you know um and they they consider that like you know this he he was like one of the final pillars standing against the wef um and now this is like just just imminent proof of of the one world global takeover that his that his pillow company is is failing and they're it's funny because they're trying to still do the cancel culture thing when they whine about uh mike lindell's business not succeeding because he was canceled and it's just it's so funny you know we covered this on the show and it was just so funny to like see them deploy the we're being canceled tactic amidst their six month long bud light freak out where they've been like watching the stock market avidly to see if they can <laughs> yeah. cancel Bud Light. Uh, so that's that's also an interesting part of it. Well, you know, they gave one trans influencer a, a case of Bud Light, and that's something that they can't just let go. You know, that's a big that's a, that's a really serious that's a really serious, dangerous phenomenon that they really it's really important that they spend every waking moment of their lives for months afterwards on this crusade about this. Yeah, otherwise, what, what's next? Are they going to give another trans influencer a single beverage? I don't know. It's like, where does it stop after that? So I think it's important that they're doing that. I like uh, Charles Barkley's recent comments where he was like, if you're a redneck who won't drink Bud Light, fuck you. You suck dick. <laughs> whatever, whatever he said. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying uh, Charles Barkley's LGBTQIA plus ally arc as well. I think that's. Oh, hell fun. yeah. I wonder if that's him or his his like PR team or agent pushing him to be more outspoken because just a few years ago he tried to kind of just shoot down the middle on police brutality and race relations in this country. Do you remember the mm -hmm. we're going to start a dialogue thing that I think T TNT was pushing? Uh, he wouldn't, yeah. you know, boldly take a firm stand on you know a pretty easy 
issue, which is just everybody should be treated equal and, and not be discriminated against on the basis of race and tried to <laughs> play peacemaker with just out fascists. Uh, so this was this was kind of surprising, uh, especially for somebody in his line of work, sports commentary. You don't see them typically take a bold stance like the only real like political or social issue that all of them willingly and easily take part of is like troop flagellation and just kind of like respecting the troops publicly and, and flag worship. That's that's really it. But this was surprising, so I, I guess good on him. But I, I am a little suspicious of his motives. I think this isn't. I'm. I don't mean to downplay trans issues at all. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think as a wealthy person, even if you're of a different ethnic background, if you're a minority ethnic background, the the police still serve a function for you as a wealthy person. I think. I think it's and you know not just in protecting your property, um, but in also maybe protecting your job. You know, like I think if you came out and said something against police or, you know, in in strong support of Black Lives Matter, uh, you'd have more issues than maybe just in general supporting trans rights. Not to say that trans people aren't like some of the most marginalized people right now, but it's no skin off of a wealthy celebrity's (laughs) teeth to say, you know, I support trans people and go about with their day. Yeah. And if you're wealthy as well, like you, there's a class element there because the cops are basically there to protect you and your property. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of their whole function. Um, I mean, the whole thing with the NBA and that Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality was they, they were in such a, a a weird position trying to like signal support for these social justice issues without taking some big radical stance, which ended up playing out in these really bizarre ways with like the black lives matter courts and the Jersey messages. And like, we're going to, we're going to have a special voting centers. And like, that was like their main thing. Like after the players, like almost had what was kind of like a wildcat strike. Like we're talking a lot about right. the strike content. And then, you know, I think a lot of the most powerful and wealthy play and influential players seemed more interested in, in continuing to play and then they kind of got the okay from Obama as well, infam- infamously. Um, and then it ended up turning into this kind of incoherent, bizarre thing where they kind of signaled support of these things while ensuring that there's not going to be any stoppage of the money printing machine of the NBA. I th- I almost find that endearing. Like I I'm not as critical as maybe a lot of other people are of like corporate virtue signaling is one thing. But when the individual members of like a money making enterprise like NBA players are like trying to figure politics out, I'm like, good for them. Like you it's it's you can't like they're Americans. You can't judge them too harshly for not knowing what the hell to do when it comes to politics <laughs> or resisting power or whatever. They're just like, uh, yeah, we'll put, yeah. you know, we'll put something on the back of our jersey or we'll, you know, make this statement or that statement. I mean, when they were actually going to go on strike, they almost touched the third rail. You know, they they almost did something right there. And that was actually their inclination at first. It seemed like like you were saying. So even more credit to them. Uh, and then Obama had to come and be like, wait, now, are you sure you want to do like something? Wouldn't it be better to just do nothing? Right, everybody? <laughs> Yeah, you can you can you can vote for the Democratic Party and Joe Biden, who will give more money to police who are killing more people today than they were previously. Isn't that an even better situation than, you know, like actually using your power to 
stop the big multi-billion dollar uh, money machine there. Yeah, amazing. We should be careful about how we we talk about and criticize Obama on today, which is just a really important day for him every year because it's the day that he releases his summer playlist. (laughs) And, you know, you have to, you know, show respect. This is a momentous occasion in the post-White House life of Barack Obama. Uh, but It's like his main thing jokes, that he does now. It's like can all I, he fucking cares about this. Can I make a list. guess? Have you, have you looked at the list yet? Can I, I'm guessing Boy Genius is on I there. Did. Yeah, but did you see one of the members of Boy Genius quote tweeted him and said <laughs> war criminal? <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, Lucy Dacus. Yeah. I, did, I actually did see that. Talk about but a I didn't, successful artist yeah. entertainer actually touching that third rail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was funny. She was, what did she say? She's a war criminal, sad face. It's <laughs> pretty good. With the little, the frown face. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Do you, so do you think he's actually listening to that music and putting together that list? Or is it like an Obama Foundation, like intern or a publicist or whatever that's putting it together and he just has nothing to do with it? And which is, which is more depressing? I think he tries. I think he's a striver. He's a tryhard. You know, we recognize our own. Um, so I think he's like actively searching out like what the best music is, or he has somebody who actively like curates the best music and then he listens to it and decides out of that, you know, what, what he would put on the list. I like to imagine him just Googling cool songs, 2023 or whatever (laughs) year it is, and then just scraping all of the Google search results and putting it in a word doc, sending it to an intern. Can you put this in a graphic? Yeah. He's, he's on pitchfork. Yeah, or the TikTok, just like (laughs) the the most used TikTok songs. (laughs) I mean, another big right wing thing. Well, again, there's other there's other podcasts that have that have uh, focused on this more extensively, so we don't get into it too much. But it has been very funny seeing this like right wing, like this whole sound of freedom phenomenon, Mm -hmm. where first of all, like there's this whole kind of like pay it forward scam, where I think there's like lots of tickets being purchased just so they can like artificially inflate the numbers. I think there are people genuinely going to see it as well, but it's led to this like funny, like conspiracy freak out where people are noticing these weird events in the theaters. And they're suggesting that like the big, big theater or whatever Hollywood is, is shutting down and refusing to let people see the movie or whatever's going on with that. Um, have you know, have you seen any of that weird uh, shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. We actually uh, just covered sound of freedom with miles Klee, the rolling stone reporter who gave a negative review of the film and then has been receiving death threats for the last two weeks. Oh yeah. I saw that. Uh, yeah. So we covered the movie. Uh, we, we did a, a brief review of the movie, which is, is boring, but also, you know, insane in the ways you think. Um, and then we just went through like, what he's receiving online, which is uh, pretty amazing. He's, he's a really good sport. Yeah. Uh, follow him on Twitter, miles Klee. Um, but the, the empty theater thing is so funny because it's just another example of like people who are wealthier than you'll ever know, wealthier and more powerful than you're, than you'll ever know using their money to benefit you specifically as a right wing, you know, suburbanite, uh, Fund, funding all your little pet grievances and uh, basest desires and giving you a free ticket to a movie, like giving you free access to a movie so that they can like, you know, say it beat Indiana Jones or whatever. And then you getting all of that 
and then being like, this must be a conspiracy against me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can't turn off that persecution complex. It's just, it's yeah. on, it's on full all, all the time. You see the empty theater and you think, oh, who's stopped? What, what's going on? They said it was sold out, you know? Um, the other, the other part about the movie that's insane, it's like, I mean, the, the right wing has been calling everyone they don't like pedophiles for a while now. Uh, pedophile discourse has been running pretty strong for like the last, you know, five years, as long as we've been doing the show, but it's definitely gotten, you know, more intense. And now, you know, the wood, wood chipper memes and stuff, you see a lot of like, a lot of virtue signaling on that respect. Like people before this movie came out, people were buying shirts that say like, kill your local pedophile on the front. Or like, if anyone touches my child in an inappropriate manner, I will go to prison for the rest of my life. You know, uh, virtue signaling the violence they want to do to pedophiles. And then it turns out now it's like anybody who doesn't like this movie is a pedophile that we get to feed into a wood chipper legs first. Um, and that that has reached its um, zenith here on Twitter because, yeah, I'm looking at the Rolling Stone tweet for the article of Miles Clee's review of the movie, uh, which has, you know, uh, a pretty strong 4.9 thousand likes, uh, 26.4 thousand re uh, replies. So pretty insane ratio. And they're filled with <laughs> oh verified. God. They're filled with verified users like Savannah Hernandez, who have paid Elon Musk eight dollars a month in order to get their tweet that says, we get it. You're pedophiles ramped right up to the top of the thread uh, and thir 34,000 likes calling Rolling Stone pedophiles uh, and just, you know, pay paid to have that there. Uh, and uh, about all every every one of those 26,000 comments is something pretty similar. You are you're a pedophile if you didn't like our movie. Which is a bold marketing tactic. I'll give them that. Yeah. Rob, I think you, you could have taken a lesson there for when Avatar was in theaters for people who yeah. uh, were skeptics or refused to see it. I don't know anyone like that. I think everybody saw it. But if you happen to know anybody who did not see Avatar 2, I think you should have waged that same campaign. Yeah. It seems to be I will uh, literally murder one. you. Yeah. yeah, I will murder you. You're a pedophile. <laughs> I'm I'm going to behead you behind the the church anything like that just to really show how altruistic and how pure you are by doing yeah. politics through consumption. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's to go back to the MS13 incident from from years ago that was always the funniest thing about that and there's kind of an analogy there which is that like I compared Republicans in this tweet to like a violent gang and then people responded by being like, how dare you refer to us as a violent gang? I'll fucking kill your whole family. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're not convincing me that conservatives and Republicans are like nice people and that I was mistaken to make that comparison. You know? Um, yeah, I can't say I'm going to see this film. You shouldn't watch it. It's it's not really worth – it's pretty boring. I thought it was going to be an action movie and it's more like a brooding kind of like – I, I, existential for this guy sort of drama like in quote intense drama um but it's it's just it's misery porn it's meant to make you as miserable as po it's meant to make your suburban mima as miserable as possible um it's meant to like abase and abuse not just the children that are in the movie 
Um, but also your main character, your Jim Caviezel, your Christ, who has to like stare at child porn for his job. <laughs> and then he also has to pose as a pedophile in order to gain the confidence of another pedophile to like follow uh, the chain of custody of these missing children. Um, and it's just, it's not, fu- it's not a fun movie. Like, I don't know why anybody would fucking watch it unless you're like sick and you have a fetish for this sort of misery porn. My girlfriend made the point that uh, like child trafficking or like, you know, taken movies, that sort of thing. That's like, tr- it's true crime for, for men. It's true crime for guys where, you know, a lot of true crime is about women, uh, you know, being targeted or, you know, it, it sort of feeds into like women's fears. And that's why partially why they enjoy it so much, which is totally understandable, but men don't have that fear. Their, their biggest fear is that like someone's going to steal their property. Uh, and so the, ch- the child trafficking movie taps into that. Um, and if you don't, yeah, then they're just doing like the, the normal consumption is politics. I'm a good person. Cause I saw this movie, like you said, Jordan. Um, and like, this is from maga.win message board rice. Ka says, these are the people who like to touch little kids, you know, meaning critics of the film, uh, you know, somebody at slate or whatever. Um, and then <laughs> Uh, and then Amber wins replies at this point, I have to agree change of tactic. Now for me, when people have snide things to say about this film, I'll just ask them, why are you protecting pedophilia and child sex trafficking? Which sounds like a good, a good I, thing. I don't, I don't understand how people have reached this point. And maybe you can help us understand this, this shift. Cause this wasn't the case five years ago, 10 years ago, there was definitely elements of the right who were, you know, really latched on to these types of heinous things and made them their pet issue. I mean, largely speaking, that was abortion. It was your baby killer. You're doing infanticide. This is genocide. This is a Holocaust 2.0. And they had this really extreme hyperbolic language around it. But you don't need to see a low budget indie film to express agreement that something heinous is in fact heinous. But they have been conned into thinking this is way more per, like pervasive than it actually is. And mm-hmm. you see that in, in manifesting in how they think every kid everywhere, a, a kid crying at the store is probably being trafficked. Any kid who wore a mask during COVID had duct tape over their mouth because they're being trafficked. <laughs> and you're, you see these types of reactions where the only way that you can demonstrate that you think that kidnapping is bad, pedophilia is bad, all of this t- like kid child trafficking is bad, the only way to demonstrate that is to, you know, buy this QAnon merch, go see this movie, go do X do X Y and Z. Anything again is this politics is consumption model which the right and especially conspiracy theorists on the right have really mastered. That's the only way you can demonstrate it. And their reaction, maybe because it's just shaking up their worldview and they're just so used to being told this is the only way you can do this. The reaction is just it reflects an inability to process that other people can also agree that these things are bad without going and doing the exact same things as you. How did how did we reach this point? Well, I in my opinion calling everybody a pedophile or interpreting your choice in movies as an uh, endorsement of pedophilia or not. Um, I I think that they just, it's an, it's an excuse. It, it, if you label, if you call somebody a pedophile, it gives you leeway to do anything to them. 
it, it, it like gives you permission to kill them on the spot. You know, literally, literally, like I'm not exaggerating. Like there's, there's stuff you would say of like, oh, if, you know, somebody c- approaches me, I'll kill them on the spot, you know, stand my ground or whatever. That's one thing. A lot of people don't feel that way. Most people don't feel that way. Pedophilia, it's you're, you're like preaching to the choir. You're, you're going to have a receptive audience if you talk about killing pedophiles or whatever. Uh, and so, whoa, what a coincidence. All my enemies turned out to be pedophiles. That's fucking crazy. It reminds me of, um, the movie frailty when if anybody's seen it it's kind of like a horror movie where um man i can't remember uh the wonderful actor slash director of that movie right now his name um but he's he gets a message from god that he's going to kill demons and he gets like information on who who's the demon and one of his sons brings him a list one day and says god came to me in a dream you know he gave me demons to kill the dad looks at the at the list and he's like, aren't these just the boys who pick on you in your class, son? And the son's like, no, they're demons. God told me to kill them. The dad's like, you know, we 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 don't kill bullies, son. We kill demons. You know, that's just what the right wing in, in my mind is doing. Not only is it like permission to do all that stuff, it's it, you're hoping for sympathetic ears. When you accuse somebody of hurting children or whatever, pe- people's ears prick up. Um, and there's a good chance they'll be on your side in condemning such activity. Yeah. And I mean, like Jordan, you talked about QAnon and we mentioned like QAnon role in January 6th and the way that like Facebook and YouTube and these places that had been kind of nurturing these conspiracy theories, uh, communities really kind of like put the clamps down and was like, no, no, no more of this content. We don't want to be having anything to do with this. It's getting too much heat on us now. But you really see how the, the whole like QAnon phenomenon, this obsession with like child trafficking and this stuff. And the Democrats and liberals being part of that, it's totally just jumped containment. It's no longer this like niche conspiracy. It's just the conservative movement now. It's basically just completely taken over, at least among this like really extremely online sect, you know. Um, but it's like it really just does seem that it has just totally enveloped the entire movement. They don't need to use these kind of QAnon code words anymore because now they're all just talking about this in broad daylight it's just basically been become their entire movement it's their tactic <clears throat> you know citing children it's the oldest thing in the book and it's so cliche you know uh think about the children i mean they do it on trans issues oh you're trying to trans my kid they do it on race issues oh you're telling my kid he's he's evil because he's white uh it's it's their it's their go-to like uh, offensive posture and it and it i think is convincing to a lot of people because there's nothing more precious than a child. And if, wow, these people are destroying children. I mean, that's like, that's the, um, the, what do you call it? Degeneracy, the anti-degeneracy argument in general is that people are tainting the next generation of children. And I mean, the right wing loves that argument. Hey, by the way, could we give some ki- uh, hungry kids free school lunches? No, absolutely not. <laughs> the same people. Um, and no, it's just, it's, it's also like, it's creating this kind of alternate universe where it totally ignores like where the vast majority of like actual child trafficking and human trafficking is happening, which is like the church and happening like within people's families and yep. creating this kind of like horror movie reality where everyone like is in danger and you're a little gated community. Your kids are going to get snatched off the street and brought into this horrible situation. Um, I mean, just going, it goes back to like the eighties and the whole satanic panic daycare stuff, which I know there's a lot of echoes of, of that stuff with QAnon but it seems like it's gone really mainstream. I mean, that's a whole other like phenomenon as well. That's, that's barely even like a, 
exclusively a right wing thing at this point. Like on TikTok, there's so much, so much of this like trafficking awareness and like, oh, I was in the grocery store at Target and I found like a cart at a 45 degree angle near my fucking minivan. That means I've been marked for being for, for targeting and I'm going to get snatched up and brought into this like terrible situation. It's, it's really wacky stuff and probably says nothing good the way that it's so many people seem to be getting sucked into this and believing in it. I mean, it's exciting if you're always under threat of being abducted and mm-hmm. you have to stay constantly vigilant. It's almost like your life has meaning. It's almost like you have something to do or something to live for or something to yeah. fight against. This, this sympathy, this outpouring of support, this performative defense of kids who are being trafficked and protecting our children. There's just this total blind spot when it comes to any any kid who's not white or any kid who isn't in a specific yeah. segment of of human trafficking. And just last yeah. week or a couple no, a couple days ago, we saw a report from the Houston Chronicle that talked about how Greg Abbott has been directing DHS um uh, or DPS to push children and and babies and other immigrants into the Rio uh, Grande who are trying to cross the border into Texas. Now, that brings a child much closer to death than any hypothetical trafficking, any hypothetical kidnapping or abduction or whatever they're seeing in the movies. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does. But again, not at the scale that right-wingers have convinced themselves it's happening at. But here we have documented proof this is happening at the border right now. Something you can do something about. You could actually take action on and push back against. It's tangible, it's real, and it's happening in this country. But they're silent. And I would assume many of them celebrate it because that that protection and that defense of, of kids and lives doesn't extend to immigrants, doesn't extend, extend mm-hmm. to people who aren't American or aren't white. And uh, it... it, it, it blows my mind that this is something that i think most reasonable people every reasonable person in this country could see and think well that's fucking evil and these people who are performatively uh claiming and demonstrating how much they love kids by going to see a movie are just totally silent on this issue this should be a, a national story yeah they like it they they like that stuff i mean there's there's a lot of child abuse they really like you know they like uh children working in dangerous factory conditions they like children marrying their fucking youth pastor <laughs> uh they they like a lot of a lot of kinds of abuse of of children and and women uh as long as they're like serving their 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 function you know i mean it's the function of immigrants to perform this labor for us and if if we have too many of them well then get the fuck out of here you know die if you have to um so it's uh, yeah they they all all of these like perilous situations uh, about children a lot of it stems from like you know a lot of these theories they have about it are like direct you know in theory if they were if the theories were real they would be a direct result of hierarchy of capitalist hierarchy um and that is not something they're willing to examine at all so all they can do is like you know, rail rail against the symptoms or rail against even imagined versions of the symptoms acting like they have conquered a dragon instead of just a, a windmill. Speaking of like weird uh, right wing fever dream uh, films, 
Did you? I know you said you've been avoiding some of this this um, content, but I'm wondering if a few months ago, if you saw the Hunter Biden movie as part of your research that you do, did you watch that one? No, I never, I never saw it. I kind of, I kind of regret not seeing it. It looked pretty good. It actually did look good. No, I saw the, I saw a trailer for it. That's all. That's all I saw. The the Hunter Biden stuff <laughs> is like so other otherwise, like it's it's so boring to me, or it's just like, you know. It's it's the equivalent of Andrew Tate posting Greta Thunberg's laughing, flipping him off and where I can like look at it and be like, it's really funny that you hate this guy for for partying for for rocking. But that's about the extent that I can care about it, to be honest. I always I always get a kick out of how they are so quick to pull out Hunter Biden nudes. And we saw that this week with Marjorie Taylor Greene printed out and blown up. <laughs> naked pictures of hunter biden to demonstrate somehow how he's the strange and sick one it's like why do you why do you have these like why do you have these readily available printed out and blown up did you hear the latest news we actually got new 4k high definition images of hunter biden's penis look i have dozens of these images saved to my hard drive what a sick case the deep state tried to remove them yeah exactly it's a little weird how fixated they are on this um, but like, I don't know, like yeah. Jordan, like, have you been paying attention to this? Like, it's the kind of thing, cause I guess the, the big story this week was like about the IRS and there's some whistleblower that's saying like, oh, we slow rolled the Hunter Biden IRS investigation or whatever. Like, is there anything to that? I think my main takeaway from that, from the, from the little that I paid attention to it is that they're taking a lot of stuff about Hunter Biden, which is like, I don't, I don't disagree that there's like corruption, that there's favoritism, that there's nepotism going on, whether you talk about his role for like, uh, what was it? Is it Gazprom or that like Ukrainian uh, 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 fossil fuel company that he just got put onto the board of like after his dad was? Yeah, Burisma. Yes, yeah, sorry. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. That, you know, I think, you know, you point out that situation. He gets put, he gets this cushy, no show job on the board of this, uh, this, this fossil fuel company after his dad is like implicated in in uh, overthrowing the previous government there. You know, I think there's a story there. There's corruption. Yeah, my take on this is. I like he's he probably did yeah like you said do corruption so throw him in jail I don't want to hear about him anymore get get rid of him like I don't I don't care do it get him out of my face yeah yeah or you talk about the way that like um the stories about him prior to the election got kind of censored by the media because they were suggesting that it was like Russian disinformation or whatever or this latest story oh we slow rolled is his IRS investigation that to me is like that's not even about liberals or conservatives or Republicans or Democrats that's just how power works in the United States. And when you are someone's son, whether you're it's, a, it's the vice president or some CEO or some whatever rich guy, you yeah, there's a separate legal system in place that doesn't apply to you that applies to everyone else. Um, that's not specifically about Hunter Biden. That's endemic, like across the American political system or across like the power centers in the United States. They fixate on these specific stories about Hunter Biden because they think it indicates some vast conspiracy with the Democrats and the deep state or whatever. But really, this is just like how if you're just some some rich or powerfully connected fail son in America, yeah, you have special privileges. That's how it works. If these people are interested in like upending that system and getting rid of that, I think that'd be fantastic. But I don't really think they are in the in the have any interest in actually doing that. No, uh, and not to be like resistancy, but if you want to really tackle the two-tiered justice system, like why are you trying? Why are you currently making exceptions for Trump? And I think that demonstrates that you don't actually care about this issue. You don't care about ultimately 
when rich or powerful or politically connected people don't face any punishment for alleged crimes. It's people on your side you're fine with, people on the other side you want to punish. And until we have a system where everybody, no matter what, uh, faces the same amount of punishment or repercussions for what they do, none of this really fucking matters. It's all just a charade. They're trying to, you know, conflate anything Hunter Biden allegedly did with with Joe Biden to kneecap him in 2024. I don't think it's going to be effective. It doesn't it doesn't seem to have been very effective lately. It doesn't seem to affect the the Biden administration or what they're doing or their communications at all whatsoever. You'll get a stray comment here or there in a press briefing, but nothing really seems to be sticking um, and they just keep flailing. And I think just to go back to the things that we see in the hearings, just pulling out nudes and people in the right at large, just always having nudes. It seems to be kind of like a sexual perversion thing more than <laughs> any, you know, pure, you know, like moral or ethical quest to, to, to seek justice. I must say that this, this guy really did absolutely, or does really love filming himself, smoking crack and hanging out with prostitutes <laughs> This this guy, he's all about that. You know, I wish I loved anything as much as Hunter Biden enjoyed this activity. It's just the specific thing of filming himself. Like he can't just he can't just smoke crack and meth and hang out with the prostitutes. It needs to be documented on camera as well. Interesting fella, that Hunter Biden, I gotta say. Yeah, it's the story is is titillating for ob- obvious reasons, but they are like pretty psychosexually con- connected to that issue and that i think in a you know similar way for the sound of freedom like one of the funniest responses i saw to sound of to like critics of sound of freedom who were like you know oh, this the the characters were non-existent the, the plot line dragged uh it's factually incorrect and it's pretty uh unrealistic in general um Polly m91 says these sound like the type of people who watch porn for the story and I think it's cool that you're admitting that Sound of Freedom is pornography yeah, for there's you. There's dozens of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I guess like while we still have you, Alex, um, as everyone knows, you know, the three of us, we're kind of humble, salt of the earth, roll up the sleeves, grab the lunch pail, working class podcasters and mm-hmm. content creators. Really the most noble working class profession that there is, as we all mm-hmm. know. Uh, but Alex, also, you have a job in addition to that, kind of a renaissance man as a UPS driver. And mm-hmm. there's a, as depressing as everything in America is, or, you know, I'm in Canada or Canada or the West in general, as we live in this kind of like slowly collapsing economic system. Um, one thing that's really cool and inspiring to see is the labor action that's happening right now. And there's going to be all kinds of talk over the next couple of months about elections and who to vote for the red team or the blue team or whatever. But I think we're seeing right now with some of these labor actions, like whether it's the WGA or the possibility of a UPS strike, uh, which is possibly on the horizon, it's showing like the path forward and how actual change can be can happen and it's not kind of through voting for whatever politician, but it's going to be through this kind of like working class solidarity. So I guess just I was wondering, like, uh, since you're a part of that world, um, what do you make of the possibility of a UPS strike? And what's the mood right now with with you and your coworkers? And how do you feel about this kind of like ongoing wave of of labor actions, whether it's with with uh, UPS or the uh, the Hollywood writers or actors or, or you know, the various other uh uh, flashpoints of that right now. 
Okay, what a thoughtful question, Rob, and I'll answer it in just one second, but I wanted to say it's Bill Paxton was the <laughs> actor and director in Frailty, the, whose name I, I can't believe I forgot. Uh, great, great movie. One of my favorites. Like It's like a Stephen King-style coming-of-age horror movie. Yeah. Highly recommended. Love Bill Paxton. Uh, his his direct he directed it. It's pretty pretty cool. Um, so I've been a Teamster and UPS worker for 17 years now. It's been like my adult job. So I've seen I've been in the union for a while, and I've seen a lot of contracts come and go. Um, this all this fight that we're in right now, where we might actually strike, um, depending on what the company presents to us before the deadline of August first. Um. It's been a long time coming. We have new leadership, a new president in the form of Sean O'Brien, who is like a reform candidate, sort of like a Bernie Sanders type who actually won. Um, a Bernie Sanders type who wasn't a senator, but an actual labor leader. Uh, not, not, No shade on Bernie or anything, but he's just in a position to actually do something. <laughs> um, and his election and those reform efforts to get him uh, to be general president of the International Brotherhood of the Teamsters um, is sort of a direct response to the contract we have now. The contract five years ago that we voted down, but was then pushed through by the president at that time, Hoffa Jr. Um, we were all pretty pissed. We were all pretty pissed about the contract in general. And then we were uh, doubly pissed when our vote was literally overruled because of a uh, a part of the Teamsters constitution that said if turnout was below a certain point, leadership could override whatever we voted for. Um, they wanted this contract pushed through. The contract was like give back city. It actually created a second type of driving job that gets paid $10 less an hour than I do. Uh, we were all pretty against that because um, if you're familiar with working class politics or like union politics, workplace, those kinds of workplace politics. Uh, this is called a two-tier wage system. Uh, and it's something employers do, employers and uh, unions who aren't willing to fight. It's something they do to preserve the benefits and wages for current employees while screwing over like the next generation of employees in order to save the company money. Um, and it's... The union movement is is rife with it. It's, it happened in the auto workers. It, it's happened with um, the Kellogg's workers. A lot of these union, these current wave of union strikes is for for abolishing some form of two tier wage system. And uh, we actually did get that driving job removed. Uh, that was part of the first half of these negotiations. Um, everything except economic issues. So everything about harassment, safety, and like job descriptions. Uh, during that process, we got a tentative agreement to remove that driving job, that lower page, uh, lower paid. It's called a combo driving job or a two twenty two four driving job. We got that. We got rid of that. I thought that was going to be really hard to do because it saves the company, you know, millions of dollars a year having that lower paid uh, labor. Uh, but, but apparently we got them to cancel it out. And uh, in response to that, when we started economic negotiations, uh, UPS's proposal was to just lower everybody down to that lower paid wage. So uh, 
Teamsters called that insult, rightfully called that insulting and walked away from negotiations. Uh, you know, UPS had to say, all right, we'll do better, bring them back. Um, but with this leadership, uh, Sean O'Brien has said that we're not going to work, or he did say that we're not going to work without, with an extension of the previous contract of the current contract. Cause this contract expires July 31st at midnight. So August 1st, we would need a new contract to go back to work, uh, with the previous contract that members fought against, uh, we were working under a, um, a extended contract for almost a year. For almost a year, we didn't have a new contract, and obviously that like dissipates any pressure on the company to actually act and and answer demands uh, from the union. Uh, so it's I think smart to say that you know we're not going to be pushing the goalposts down, you know, to accommodate UPS's intransigence on this issue. Um, but we did just get an update, and because we're approaching July thirty first, and there's a July 5th was the cutoff to get a, to get a contract that we could all vote on and ratify before August 1st and we've passed that deadline. So now the update is if leadership gets a, a tentative agreement with the company that they think we will like we will continue working under this contract and like while we vote on whatever UPS is presented. Um, this leadership is extremely militant. The members are extremely agitated and, and I don't want to say eager for a strike because a strike is very disruptive and it's, uh, it's, you know, nobody kind of knows what will actually happen, uh, if we, if we strike. Um, but I think we've been wanting to have this fight with the company for, for decades now. Um, and it seems like we got leadership who also wants to have that fight. And so it's very exciting time. There's 340,000 UPS teamsters. Um, so coupled that with the hundreds of thousands of striking actors and writers, plus like LA hotel workers are on strike. Uh, there's Amazon teamster drivers now for the first time that are also on strike. Um, it, it would be a pretty magnificent thing if you know that many people were on strike especially not to tout my own horn toot my own horn but ups the the billions of packages we process um make make a pretty big dent i think it would make you know it would um create a lot of attention so uh that's that's kind of where we're at right now i saw there was that viral clip uh recently of a ups driver responding to some comment from someone being like i we know why are you striking? You know, it's like it's not uh, for the fact that you're you're making the the hourly wage that you do, but it's like it doesn't require any skill. It's not skilled labor, and this obsession <laughs> that people have um, that have been so brainwashed by this kind of like pro boss sort of propaganda mm-hmm. um, to suggest that. And I mean, the idea that like that these jobs aren't extremely difficult, like fucking working at McDonald's and Burger King is an extremely difficult job. It's the thing that they always point to, you know, Oh, these are entry level jobs. Usually anyone can do them. It's easy. Like it's, it's really not, um, nor is being a UPS driver. Anyway, it's not the point. And like you're saying, um, you know, you've got the unionized UPS workers, but it's also striking. That's exactly what solidarity is supposed to be about and making sure that people in your company are being taken care of you know, even the people that are that are being brought into this kind of two tiered system, it's really amazing how people's brains have been sort of melted by 
um, the way that the media talks about this, the way the politicians talk about it. And now, of course, you have like news stories going on about saying, how is this going to impact the economy? This is the way that the media always kind of like deals with these things mm-hmm. as well, you know, and putting the onus on the workers, right? This UPS strike is very dangerous. You saw a lot about this in um, the UK uh, earlier this year when there was those railroad strikes going on. Oh, the, the railroad strike at around Christmas, people's precious gifts are not going to be delivered on time. And it's like putting the pressure on the workers and, this, and the people that are actually doing the job that uh, people are relying on and not ever asking the basic question about why aren't the companies and the bosses just giving these workers what, they, what they're asking for. And the way that like the, they, it, this very kind of subtle method that the media uses or is not so subtle sometimes to completely obfuscate these issues and divide working people, um, you know, working people who should be in solidarity with UPS workers or striking rail workers or workers at McDonald's or Burger King or Starbucks or whatever. Um, and you see this, the decades of kind of anti-union and anti-worker propaganda, how it's done this number on people's minds where as soon as workers like sit down and say, hey, we want a better contract, we want a better deal. And they just immediately start pointing the fingers being like, you haven't deserved it. It's not skilled and taking the boss's side. Um, it's pretty sad yeah. to see. It's a sad state of affairs to see some of these folks. I love the argument, especially. Yeah, I was I, I love that that UK argument of you're 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 destroying Christmas. You're disrupting Christmas. And it's like so that's just another <laughs> way of saying these workers bring you Christmas every single year. You're acknowledging what they do for you. You're yeah. acknowledging that they they are the element that gets you what you need. You know what I mean? So, and same thing with these other business. You know, I saw an ABC article we talked about it on the show uh, where what about other businesses who suffer because of the strike in Hollywood? You know, and it's like, wow, you're kind of right. There is like this whole machine uh, coming out of Hollywood that it's a, a just a money making machine, almost like an ATM for anybody who has cap capital enough to exploit it. And it's almost like you should be thanking the writers and actors for running the machine that makes you money. You should recognize their interests align with your interests, you know, as one of these tertiary businesses. Um, But yeah, people have like boss brain, like you said. Um, So they just, I, I automatically identify, well, if I was the CEO of UPS, it's the most embarrassing thing you could possibly say to be honest as a wage earner like sure if you're a different c-suite level executive fantasize away but if you're a, if you're a worker like fantasizing about being the boss or like firing your co-workers <laughs> which i see all the time in my facebook groups uh incredibly cringe but the thing about yeah the two-tier wage system um with ups so you do see this argument well drivers are are paid well which we are drivers are paid well they get good benefits um, I don't often see the argument that driving isn't a skilled job because anybody who's done it or seen it being done would know that it is a skilled job, that UPS pays like $10,000 per driver to train us. And that's, you know, by adopting safety measures, training us with safety measures that have been uh, instituted into our contract by the union. You know, the union is fo- it has like forced a um, a level of labor onto UPS that they would themselves not have adopted. Um, and But because of that, we're the number one delivery service in the country. We, we have the fewest accidents. We have the most um, successfully delivered packages. Like we are professionals and we are the leading professionals in the industry. With that said, 
60% of UPS employees are part-time. And those part-time employees start at $15 an hour. So those employees, those part-time employees are the ones loading the packages into my package car. They're the ones unloading the packages from my package car that I picked up that day. They're the ones sorting them on a belt. So they go to the right belt to go to Utah or Florida. Then they're the ones who load it up into a trailer. Um, all that labor is being done by extremely underpaid part-timers. Um, and this is obviously just a ploy to keep their labor costs down, the, comp- the company's labor costs down. Um, and it you really do hate to see even UPSers arguing uh, things like, well, it's a part-time job, so therefore they should make less money. And there's there's two issues I have with this. If 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 I'm accepting that, oh, it's a part-time job, so it's like it's a lower tier of job or something like that. If I accept that, well, like why you're cutting the hours and then you're also cutting the wage. So you're you're like doubling the amount of like poverty and and uh what you, austerity you're imposing on these on these um, these workers but when the work they're doing is so vital to the company it's incredibly obvious that whether or not the company decided to classify that as a part-time job is irrelevant and like i don't think most people would just accept oh well i had a full-time job but the corporation decided to uh cut it into two cut it in half to two part-time jobs and then lower the divide the wage again. I don't think most people would accept that deal, you know. Um, and so it's a lot of like deprogramming you're doing, where people just hear the phrase "part time job" and think, "Oh, well, that's for a teenager." It's like, no, they're loading thousands of packages onto a truck. It's manual. It's very valuable manual labor. Um, so the reason we're fighting so hard. I think UPS was probably willing to give drivers a a raise that we feel like we deserved by, you know, uh, working untold hours during the pandemic, uh, you know, delivering medicine and vaccines before we could even get the vaccine. I was delivering vaccines to hospitals in Seattle. Um, and they made billions off of that. And even though we are paid well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, okay, yeah, cool. Like I, I'm, I'm uh, stable in my income and, you know, I can afford like treats and stuff like that. Um, so what UPS made fucking billions of dollars off our labor and we're, we're entitled to some of that. We, we made that happen. So give us some of that money, you know? And then, but the real, I think UPS was willing to give us some might say you're entitled to all of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think UPS was willing to give us that money as long as we sold out the part-timers. Because that's what happened. That's what's happened in the previous contract. That's why drivers make make money and part timers have been ignored for the last twenty years. Is because leadership has not been willing to fight for these part time employees. Uh, and finally, we have leadership who is, and also we have a lot of part timers who are stepping up and filling in the gaps left by the union um, to organize themselves, organize practice pickets for themselves um, to. Uh, you know, ha- create these chains of information and uh, group chats and just talking to their coworkers because there's a lot of drivers who, not a lot, I don't want to say that. I think drivers overwhelmingly stand in solidarity with part-timers. And I think the leadership's tone on this has helped uh, make that a reality. Um, but you get some drivers who are like, I didn't see any part-timers at the practice picket this morning. Oh, you mean the practice picket that was like scheduled 
around your schedule as a full-time driver. Did you talk to any part-timers? Did you, did you try to get a second practice picket for when their shift before their shift starts? Like that's all work that has to be done. And it's work that the union has been neglecting. And that's why a lot of part-timers don't give a fuck about the union because like they're making 15 bucks an hour and they get to load, you know, a thousand boxes into three package cars in three hours before going to a second job. So um, I, I'm really proud of this leadership. I'm proud to be part of the fight to, to uh, possibly even strike for part-timer wages. I was a part-timer for nine years. I, I've worked almost every job at this company um, and it's hard work and it, and they deserve to be compensated for it. Well, uh, we'll, we'll keep following. We'll keep following that and, and along with the other strikes out in California in the entertainment sector. But Alex, we really want to thank you for your insight and your analysis today. Where can people find you and listen to Minion Death Cult? Yeah, thanks so ha- for uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, listen to Minion Death Cult wherever you get podcasts, or if you want to listen to it in a browser, MinionDeathCult.com. Uh, we cover right-wing inter- internet derangement as well as labor politics, um, and especially right now we are covering the negotiations and potential strike at UPS. Um, We've talked to part-time workers uh, on our feed. I've I've done a lot of segments on the ongoings of UPS. Um, so you know, uh, hope, hopefully, we can inform some people there. And um, we have a Patreon, bonus, two bonus episodes every every week on that Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Minion Death Cult. And we do a we one of those episodes is a live stream every Saturday. Right now, Tony and I, my co-host, uh, we're watching Black Period, White Period. Uh, I believe the TNT reality show from Ice Cube about race swapping. They get a family to swap races, uh, go in blackface and whiteface respectively to try and discover if there's racism in the world. Uh, and mm. we're we're watching that. We've watched the first two episodes of it. They're available <laughs> on our Patreon to, to watch them or you can listen to them in audio form as well. Uh, those have been su- superb. That sounds great. That was something that Jordan and I were considering doing, but I guess if Ice Cube's already doing it, we shouldn't shouldn't bother. But you know, no, I just wanted to be Canadian. I just thought if I pretended <laughs> exactly. to be Canadian, that would be entertaining. Culture swap. It's going to really be a yeah. big shocking experience. How different it is. Um, <laughs> Alex, thanks again. It was fantastic to have you on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. 